Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed our last episode, which was an interview with uh, church planter and missionary Craig Noyes. He's a great friend of mine. I would encourage you to go check that out and become involved in his work if the Holy Spirit would move you to do that. Today, I want to share with you um, a sermon that I had the chance to preach to conclude or to close our national conference that we finished. When I'm talking about we and our, Craig and I both belong to an organization called the Conservative Grace Brethren Churches International. We are Grace Brethren in our doctrinal statement. We are conservative in that we desire to conserve the truths of the Bible as once for all delivered by the apostles to the church. And we are international because we are not just a group based in the United States, but we have churches and I should say sister churches in five different countries on the continent of Africa, the country of India, and Myanmar, and hopefully, Lord willing, soon to be in the country of Papua New Guinea. Well, the Conservative Grace Brethren churches have banded together for a specific reason and purpose. We exist to fulfill the Great Commission both at home and abroad. And we are local churches. We believe in the supremacy and the autonomy of the local church. But we have banded together as a fellowship, not a denomination, but a fellowship, so that we can accomplish the Great Commission throughout the world. Now, every year, uh, around the first week of July, we have a national conference where members from every church and their pastors come to be encouraged, to be challenged to understand the state of the fellowship. And I had the opportunity to be elected as the president to serve in 2020. So that meant in 2019, this year, I served as the vice president, and it was my opportunity to do the children's conference. And my wife and I did that, and we had a lot of fun. Now in 2020, I have the opportunity to set the theme for the conference and organize uh, preaching and breakouts and some other activities that are, you know, more leisurely in nature. But one of the great burdens that's been on my heart is a burden for making disciples within the local church. You know, I think one of the things that we excel at as the conservative Grace Brethren is teaching the Word of God. We're very good at expositing the Word of God. But I think one of our our weaknesses is in personal relationship and building personal relationships that encourage people to practice the truth that they know. And so my 2020 theme is Make Disciples. And what I want to play for you today is um, the message that I preached on the final session of our 2019 conference. It is the 2020 theme make disciples. And I want to apologize a little bit in advance. The audio quality was not great. It was 
recorded in a uh, room that was like a big rectangle. And so there's a lot of echoey and some static going on there. But I want to give a great shout out to my friend Stephen Lore of the S. Lore Music Group. He did a great job of trying to clean up this audio to the best that he could. And he put it in a great stereo format for me. So uh, I'm going to give that to you guys here in just a moment. But if you appreciate his work, shoot him an email. His group specializes in uh, writing, recording music, mixing, and mastering. If you need any studio work done, now maybe you want to record a jingle, maybe you want to record a vocal commercial, uh, contact my friend Stephen Lohr. You can find him on Facebook at S. Lore, that's L-O-H-R, Music Group, or you can shoot him an email at slohr.musicgroup at gmail.com. And if you do, tell him that Jed sent you. Without further ado, here's my 2020 conference theme, Make Disciples. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go before the throne of grace. Father, this has been both an encouraging week and an exhausting week as we have worked hard to learn and study your word also spent time in fellowship with one another. Father, now we come to the end of a week in which we have devoted ourselves to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength to devote ourselves one more time to the hearing and to the obedience of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would work in our hearts to convict us of our shortcomings, to strengthen us, to move ahead, fill us to do your work, that Christ would be made famous in our actions and our efforts, and that each of us would be transformed into his image. For it is to him that we look, it is him that we want to imitate, And it is him that we glorify. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned briefly during the home missions night on Monday, the statistics that show the membership of the CGBCI from 2003 to 2017 are quite alarming. Approximately... 2,150 people were members of the CGBCI in 2003. And in 2017, that number had fallen to 1,300. That's a decrease of about 
Why? We could, of course, point to a lot of reasons, conflict within the churches, church splits, people going on to be with the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at the CGBCI in Cameroon, Uganda, India, Myanmar, and the other foreign mission countries that we're involved in, they have all increased in that same period of time while we have decreased. Why? What are we not doing that they are doing? I submit to you that we are not as faithful in the disciple-making process as our brothers in these foreign lands have been. And I know we could probably say, well, people today aren't interested in the gospel. The spirit isn't moving. But there are people being saved. There are fundamental Bible-believing denominations that are growing in this particular cultural climate. Why not us? Perhaps we've become comfortable. Perhaps we don't have the same spirit that was described in this particular passage read by Pastor Steve Burns. Perhaps we don't believe what Jim Elliott believed. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's so easy. It's so easy to spend time Managing that which you cannot keep. Your material possessions. And other such things. And to overlook those things that you cannot lose. That would be work that counts for eternity. What is the one thing that you won't be able to do in heaven? Make disciples. We have one opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission while we're here on this earth. And if Jesus comes today and we have to stand before him at the judgment seat, could we honestly say we've done all in our power to do the best that we possibly could to make disciples to fulfill the Great Commission? I want you to ask yourself this question. How can I be a better disciple maker? How can I personally be a better disciple maker? Not how can my pastor be a better disciple maker or how can other people in my church be a better disciple maker, but how can I be a better disciple maker? Let's go to the text now and look at what Jesus commanded all believers. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. No such greater summation has been made. No such command has been introduced with a higher calling, a higher plea that the authority, which Jesus is now about to speak with, has been given to him greater than all that is in the earth, And all that is in heaven, it was given to him at that particular moment. And here's what he says with this authority. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know, there are two common misconceptions that most believers have when it comes to reading the Great Commission. Two common misconceptions. The first is an oversimplification of disciple-making. Most believers come to this passage and they think making disciples means to focus primarily on the conversion of the lost and unrepentant sinner. Now, while bringing the good news of the gospel is important, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel that Jesus is calling people to, the process of discipleship is not easy. It's not easy believism. It's not fire insurance. It's not something that's just supposed to help you and assist you in your life. Being a disciple is the all-encompassing goal and mission of the one who wants to follow Jesus Christ. The first misconception is primarily focused on what I get from the gospel, not how I should be transformed by the gospel. Think about that. What do I get from the gospel? No, that's not what it's about. It's how can I be transformed by the gospel, transformed from what I was, dead in my trespasses and sins, to who I should be like, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. There are many organizations who have focused primarily on this goal, that is, preaching the gospel to convert unbelievers. And while it is noble that they focus on preaching the gospel, doing that alone is an incomplete disciple-making process. Now, the second misconception that many fundamental evangelical believers have is that there is an overemphasis on the going. All right? Go, therefore. You know, we are very excited to send somebody else way over there to make disciples. We are very excited to hear about what somebody way over there is doing to make disciples. And so there is an overemphasis on going way over there. The, t- the Great Commission is often reduced to an emotionally-based plea for men and women to become missionaries to go to other places in the world. And while it's true that you must have somebody go over there, there is a responsibility here to make disciples as well. So those are the two common misconceptions. One an oversimplification of the disciple-making process. Just get them saved. And number two, an overemphasis on going. But this Great Commission, this is the goal of every church-age believer. If you want a verse to put on your bathroom mirror in the morning, print out this verse and stick it right there so that when you go to the coffee shop or McDonald's or wherever it is your first stop is, you're thinking, I need to make disciples here, right now. That's the goal of every church-age believer. The command in this text is to make disciples. What is a disciple? I think it's a good question. 
one that's important to understand well. A disciple is someone who learns from another, either in a formal or an informal setting. A disciple is one who becomes like the one who teaches him. Now, these men who were receiving this command had been with Jesus since the beginning of his public ministry. These men heard Jesus' formal teaching in, the term, in uh, terms of like sermons, public teaching that he did to the crowds. But they also received anecdotal and informal teaching from Jesus as they walked along and experienced life together with him. A disciple is someone who imitates and becomes like the one who trained him. So these 11 men were to become like Jesus. And to make disciples, each successive generation must have as its goal reproducing believers who are like Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, Paul, the discipler, to Timothy, the disciplee. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Disciples, of which all of you claim to be, have a responsibility to reproduce themselves in the present age. That is the goal of every believer. It's not just up to the pastor. It's not just up to the leading men in the church. Every believer should be striving to reproduce him or herself. Now, what does it mean to make a disciple? Well, when Jesus is communicating this to the eleven. Make disciples is not something that you do to put somebody under duress. It's not convert or die as some false religions, quote unquote, make disciples. No, how do you make disciples? You use the word of God to plead and argue and beg and demonstrate from the word of God the need for the lost sinner to come to repentance Because there is eternity at stake. To make a disciple is to compel somebody to become what you are. A faithful servant of Jesus Christ. A submissive follower of Jesus Christ. One who seeks to make Jesus known and to give him glory. And who demonstrates that Jesus is the supreme Lord and master over one's life. Now this command to make disciples involves intentional effort on the part of current disciples. All of you today, to my knowledge, are current disciples of Jesus Christ. Are you intentionally working To make disciples. It's not a passive activity. It's intentional. It's purposeful. And here's how you do it. Three steps right from the text. By going. By baptizing. And by teaching all that Jesus commanded. You must 
be putting in work in every single one of these areas. Now, we all recognize that we're not all gifted in a special way as evangelists. But as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, each of us can do the work of an evangelist. You can do that work even if you're not especially gifted. We baptize those who make a profession of faith to identify them with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we are to spend time teaching them all that Jesus commanded formally in the local church setting. That's where a bulk of the teaching should take place. But discipleship is more than just that formal church teaching. It is informally in the day-to-day interactions of believers in a connected community with one another. And discipleship is a lifelong process. It takes a long time to teach everything that Jesus commanded. And even if you know a lot about what Jesus commanded, it takes a lifetime to practice it and master it. And the oldest saint here today would say, I'm still growing in Christ because I need to be more like him, just as the youngest saint here today could say the same thing. This is a lifelong process. So what then are the implications of this command to make disciples? What are the implications? Well, I'm going to start with the negative. Number one, if you are not presently making disciples, you are disobeying the Great Commission. Have you ever thought about that before? If you're not presently involved in the process of going, baptizing, teaching, you're in violation of the Great Commission. And we want to obey Jesus' command. We want to be pleasing to our Lord. This is one of the clearest and most straightforward commands that Jesus left us. The New Testament doesn't imagine a passive disciple. Church attendance alone is insufficient to make disciples. Personal study alone is insufficient to make disciples. Personal prayer alone is insufficient to make disciples. Disciples cannot be passive. Disciples must be active, taking the truth that they know, communicating it to other people, and investing in other, another person's life. Paul commands all the saints to do the work of the ministry, and that includes disciple-making. So what do we say then? God wants you. God doesn't just want your resources. God wants you. The infinite, sovereign God who created the entire universe could have chosen a thousand different means to perpetuate the truth, but instead he chose to use people like you and me to perpetuate the truth. So if you're not making disciples, you're not actively Fulfilling the Great Commission. How about you are? Let's say you're here this morning. You're saying, yeah, I'm trying to make disciples. I believe 
This is an important command and a worthy goal. Maybe I'm not doing the best that I can, but I want to do it. All right, what should I know about discipleship? Well, point number two then, underneath the implications of disciples making disciples. Discipleship is cyclical. All right, it is a cycle. New disciples should become like mature disciples who were like their teachers. See, this is something that's passed down from one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation. And let me tell you, this is a hard thing to do in our particular culture because our culture doesn't value, our culture doesn't value the wisdom of prior generations. Our culture is trying to parse out every generation so that this generation has no overlap with the previous one and has no overlap with that previous one and has no over- so we're so divided even in the church. That's what our culture is trying to do to us. And it is difficult even though even though we don't want to be like the culture, it's difficult to escape that pressure, that mentality. Discipleship is cyclical. Who cares if you're 70 years old? Go up and talk to that 15-year-old boy. That's a cycle right there of a mature disciple training up a new disciple. And you can pick any age you want to, however you want to do that. But discipleship is cyclical. Luke 6.40 says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says this, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Philippians 4.9, The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Those are critical New Testament verses to describe the responsibility of current disciples to be investing in the next generation of disciples. Thirdly, the work of discipling is active work. We've already touched on this a little bit, but let me expand on it. The work of discipling is active work. What is known, practiced, and learned in one generation must be passed down to the next generation. The way I like to think of this is by thinking of a relay race. I think you all know what a relay race is. You've seen it in the Olympics. Perhaps in some of our glory days, we ran relay races in high school or college. I did relay races, and the greatest sin of being in a relay race was not coming in last place. What was it? Dropping the baton, right? Dropping the baton. Have we passed off the baton of faith to the next generation? Are you actively, and you can't think about it in terms of... um, like the macro. I'm not talking about the macro, this macro generation and that macro generation. Think about it in terms of individuals. Am I actively passing off the baton to somebody who will take that baton and run with it and do what is necessary to pass it off to another person? 
In the Old Testament, in particular, the book of Judges shows the perils of what happens to a people when they don't practice this process of active discipleship. What does the book of Judges record, sadly, about the nation of Israel? There arose another generation that didn't know the Lord. They say, well, the Old Testament people didn't have a command like this to make disciples. Sure they did. Anybody read Deuteronomy 6? That's the disciple-making process. Fathers, you teach your children these truths. And if you do well teaching your children these truths, they'll grow up to believe in the Lord, and they will teach their children these truths. Discipleship can happen from one individual to another, but also within families. It is active work, and the baton of faith must be handed off. Fourthly, under the implications of making disciples, this process of disciple-making takes place both near, emphasis on near, and far. Acts 1.8b, Jesus, in his final words to the disciples before he ascended, says this, You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Where did they begin? Right in their hometown, Jerusalem. They began there. And the book of Acts says the church was in Jerusalem for five to seven years before it expanded out to Samaria. And another few years before that, before it expanded out to the Gentiles. This is a process of disciple-making. It began in Jerusalem. What is your Jerusalem? We should all answer our hometown. The village that we live, the city that we live, the, the area that's immediately surrounding us. That is our Jerusalem, and the disciple-making process begins near. Really, for us as believers, it begins in the local congregation. And it extends to our local neighborhoods and community. And finally, it ends up in the remotest part of the earth. Why do we give so much emphasis and prestige to those who are going to the remotest part of the earth, but not to our neighborhoods and local communities? I I think... Partly, it has to do with the fact that going way over there seems more exciting than going next door. Also, if I send somebody to go way over there, I feel like I'm contributing to the Great Commission, and I may not have to feel like I need to go to my neighbor next door. Making disciples takes place both near and far And I want you to just put a little star next to that if you're taking notes, because I'm going to come back to that here at the end. Well, I understand this particular sermon to be something that is supposed to encourage you and challenge you and to set the stage for what we want to talk about next year at conference. And so perhaps there are some things that you have questions about or Want some additional training on? Come back next year. We're going to have some more sermons and some workshops 
to help encourage one another to become better in the disciple-making process. But I want to take a moment to now examine five reasons why we are poor at making disciples. Why do we do a poor job of making disciples? This is something to meditate on. This is really to help you answer the question that I began with. How do I become a better disciple maker? As I go through these five reasons, maybe one or two of them will really stick out to you as being something that needs to change in your life, that must be transformed. Circle it. Make it a matter of prayer. Spend time in the Word asking God to give you wisdom to overcome your fears in that particular area. Here's five reasons why we are not better at making disciples. Number one, the busyness of life. The busyness of life. We are all busy. In fact, what's, what, what's been interesting to me is that some of the folks in my church who have retired say they are now busier in their retirement than they were when they were working. You know, they're spending time going to grandkids' sporting events and family things, and they're doing all kinds of stuff, and they're, they feel busier than they were when they were working. We all have issues We all have issues and things to do that result in the general busyness of life. And I think one of the reasons we are so busy is that we make decisions according to our own selfish interests, though they may be well-meaning, rather than according to Christ's interests. You know, do I want my children to learn how to play team sports? Is that a good thing for them? Sure. It's good for them. You know, it's good to learn how to work together on a team. But what would happen to my family life if I signed them up for team sports and we're gone every night of the week? Same thing. It doesn't have to be sports. It could be ballet or piano or music or it could be uh, 4-H or some other hobby or project. We are so busy because we don't manage our priorities correctly. We choose the good instead of the best. And I believe as Christians in general, as people who want to be mature followers of Jesus Christ, we need to say no to the good and yes to those things that are better and best and have priorities that reflect Christ's kingdom Outside of Wednesday and Sunday, instead of priorities that reflect what I'm doing in my own little kingdom. The busyness of life, investing in others takes time. It's all, we all have limited time, but we can all make better decisions as to how to use that time. The second reason why we're not better at making disciples, is that in America, we have a cultural expectation of privacy. Do you agree to that? We have a cultural expectation of privacy. We don't have the quote-unquote Mayberry anymore where everybody sits out on their front porch and watches the world go by and stops and talks to one another and life is just jolly. No, everybody's inside their house. 
doing their own thing, separate from their neighbors, separate from people in their community. And when you go and try to invade somebody else's bubble of privacy, that really bothers them. So because we have a cultural expectation of privacy, it's difficult to do the work of disciple-making. Because disciple-making inherently involves the intimate knowledge of another person. You're going to have somebody else over to your house. They're going to see your dirty floors. They're going to see your children misbehave. They're going to watch you not respond correctly to that. (laughs) Darren, I'm glad you were the first one to laugh because I've had to make some apologies to people who have been over to my house. But you you know what else they'll see? That's the bad. You know what else they'll see? They'll good. They'll see the way that you train and admonish your children in the Lord. They'll see the way that you place people above things, that you value relationships more than an image of what you are. We need to get over our cultural expectation of privacy. And it's hard to do because everybody wants to have that perfect social media portrayal of the perfect family life. And it's just not true. Invite somebody over to your house. Or show up on their door with a pizza and invite yourself in. (laughs) I don't know anybody who's turned down free food. (laughs) You know, work hard to break down that barrier of an expectation of privacy. The third reason that we have a difficulty in making disciples is that Americans have a consumer mentality towards anything and everything. And the consumer mentality manifests itself in the disciple-making process in this way. I will pay you to do something that I don't want to do. We think that we can pay somebody else to do what God's asking us to do. That's how we do everything else in America, right? I don't want to take my trash out. I don't pay somebody to do that. I don't want to clean my house. I'm going to pay a cleaning lady to come in. I don't want... To uh, spend time cooking, I'm going to pay Bob Evans to cook for me. Look, we have a consumer mentality about everything, and anything that's inconvenient or that we we decide that we don't want to do, we pay somebody else to do it for us. You can't do that with the disciple-making. You can't pay somebody else to make your disciples. God calls you to do it. God doesn't need your money. He's got all the money he wants, and he can get any, any more that you or I may think he needs. God needs you. God needs you running the race. God needs you engaged in the battle. God needs you being a useful instrument in his hands. Now, the fourth reason why we're not good at making disciples is that we value personal comfort. We value personal comfort. And disciple-making involves getting out of one's comfort zone. Now, I was talking to our brother, Brian Maley, yesterday, just asking him about evangelism. And I told him, this is, that's scary to me, Brian. And he's like, yeah, but when you do go up and do this teaching and stuff, that's kind of scary to me. You know, we all have our areas in which we're comfortable, and it's too easy to just insulate ourselves 
from doing those things which are challenging but necessary. Challenging but would result in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to get out of our comfort zone. That doesn't mean you're going to all of a sudden become the greatest evangelist who's ever walked the face of the earth, but you can do something to share the gospel. It doesn't mean you'll become the greatest teacher, but you can teach someone what you know. And if you've grown up in a Grace Brethren church, you probably know way more, way more, than the average new believer today. Because we have young people who come to our church, they visit, teenagers and some younger than that. They don't know anything about the Bible, period. They know zero. Like you would think they would at least know about Moses. They don't know about Moses. David and Goliath, nope, nothing. It's a blank slate. So you know more than them. What's there to be afraid of? Finally, the catch-all category for reasons why we don't make disciples is we're just afraid to do it. We think we're not skilled, we're not able, we're afraid to do it. And the fact of the matter is, with the advent of modern technology, there are so many resources right at your fingertips that you can use in the disciple-making process. Not to mention the greatest resource that's ever been given to mankind. The Word of God. There's really no excuse other than, I just didn't want to, Lord. I didn't think it was necessary. And I can guarantee you that's not going to go over well on the Day of Judgment for us. We need to be about fulfilling the Great Commission. This week at National Conference, we heard about the vision to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Our brother Nain Boo from Myanmar, Craig Noyes and Joshua Miller and their families and their desire to take the gospel to Papua New Guinea. Pastor Keith reported on the nine different countries in Africa who want the gospel. We have a vision to take the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. But we have a small problem. Small problem. You can't go to the moon without a great mission control center. You know, those guys who land on the moon... They're just the very tip of the spear. Of the spear. Those guys are the highly visible and famous individuals who are the culmination of literally hundreds of thousands of men and women's labor and probably millions of man hours worth of work to take somebody from planet Earth and put them on the moon. What is the control center, the mission control center for fulfilling the Great Commission. Local church. The mission control center for fulfilling the Great Commission is the local church. And if we don't have a good mission control center, we're not going to do well with those that we send out way over there. 
We're going to run out of support. We're going to run out of ability to maintain the objectives and to fulfill the end result. In God's plan and program for this age, local church is the command center. And we need to be about the business of making disciples in our local church. Discipleship cannot be divorced from the local church. If you would allow me to add a little bit to Jesus' illustration in John 15. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, you could almost say that discipleship, the process of discipleship is the water that makes everything grow. Without water, the branches will shrivel up and die. Without passing the truth on, without actively discipling other individuals. The branches will shrivel up and die. Discipleship is Christocentric. You know what that means? That means Christ is the center of discipleship. Sometimes we think that discipleship is commando-centric. Follow these rules, follow these commands, and you'll be a good disciple. Rules in and of themselves don't exalt Christ. Individuals running the race of faith faithfully, they exalt Christ. They magnify Christ. And as Paul said, I already read it, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So here's the challenge between now and conference next year. There's a book written by a man named Mark Deaver. It's called Discipling. You can find it at ninemarks.org or Amazon. It's about 100 pages long. I would challenge everybody to read that book. Number two, go back to your local church and find one person whom you can begin investing in. You think about it. You're sitting here today most likely because somebody else invested in you. Not 45 minutes from here lives a man who invested a great deal in me. His name was Norm Miller. When I was 14 years old, the church that my dad was pastoring at decided they didn't want him to be the pastor anymore. And we were cut free from that, and I became very disillusioned with the church and Christianity. And this man, Norm Miller, was a friend of my dad's who was also a pastor. And he looked at me and saw somebody who was an outcast and a lone wolf and who didn't really want to be a people person. And despite my best efforts to deny Norm the opportunity to disciple me, he kept finding a way to come into my life. And it was over a three-year period that Norm's investment transformed me from somebody who was a lone wolf who didn't want anything to do with the church to somebody who was willing to leave everything behind, to go serve Christ in any capacity that he called me to. And God moved me providentially from Kalamazoo, Michigan to Northwest Ohio And providentially, I walked into the wrong church building. 
On a Sunday morning, literally 16 years ago, it was the Sunday of conference. They thought I was a guest speaker because I was the only one in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) And now here I am standing before you, making the same plea. Invest in one person. You don't know how God could multiply that investment. Norm had no idea what would happen to that 14-year-old kid. And here I am, investing in all of you, investing in a local church back at home. Just start and let God be in charge of the results. Number three, pray for courage to do the going in your Jerusalem. Pray for courage to do the going in your Jerusalem. I think that's honestly the hardest part, to go in your own area, in your hometown. Dear friends, it's a great privilege uh, that you have allowed me to present this to you this morning from the Word of God. And my desire, and I hope yours also, is to be faithful in all that the Lord would have us do. And his commands are not difficult to understand, but they are difficult to implement. And so my prayer, jointly, is that we would have courage to make disciples, that we would see real growth in our churches because people are becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that results in God, Jesus, becoming famous. I must decrease, and he must increase. Father, as we close our conference, I ask and pray that you would give us a real heart to do the hard work. Lord, you have entrusted us with the truth. Help us to not clutch it tightly in our fists, but to open our hands and share it with as many as we can. Father, may this message be used by the Holy Spirit to bring glory and honor to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.